Let us pray. Our gracious Father, we thank Thee for Thy goodness toward us in the Lord Jesus Christ, and for Thy mercy shed abroad our pathway day by day. For we can say with the prophet that Thy mercies are new every morning. Great is Thy faithfulness unto us, and truly Thou hast been a God, a gracious God, hast been gracious to us. We can say with the Apostle Paul, Thou hast delivered, Thou dost deliver, and Thou wilt yet deliver. For Thou art the God who cannot change, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our Father, our heart is filled with praise and thanksgiving this morning because of this past week, the blessings that Thou didst bestow upon us, the precious souls that we met, the brethren that we met with, the fellowship in the Lord, and to know that Thou hast Seven thousand hath not bowed the knee to Baal. Thou hast those who are preaching the word. And they are here, there, and yon. We thank you and praise you for it, that you have not left yourself without a witness. And we thank thee, our Father, that thou art working with revival spirits in certain places. And oh, may it, may it grow. Our Father, would you send revival here in our midst? Would you come down thy mercy seat to greet? May thy mountains flow down with thy sweetness. And, Lord, that thou would break our hearts, open our hearts, and cause us to seek thy face and know of thy ways. Would you search our hearts out, our Lord, and try the reins of our heart to see if there be any wicked way in us. We may confess it and lay low at thy feet. May thy spirit, thy, thy spirit that humbles us be manifested in our midst. Our Father, would you have mercy upon us? Would you open hearts even this morning? Would you give hearing ears and seeing eyes? And would you let those who have never known the preciousness and the glory of Christ, would you open their hearts this morning to let them see their need of Him? And would you pray that those who are outside of Christ might be drawn with the effectual working of thy Spirit unto thee? We do pray for thy people, that thou wilt give them, each one of them, that which is needful for their hearts today. There will be that rejoicing in thy presence, rejoicing in thee, because of thy great grace and of thy great mercy. Bless the radio audience and have mercy upon them, Father, as the word goes forth into their homes. We do pray that thou wilt bless it and use it for thy glory. So open thy word to our hearts is our cry. Give us of thy spirit full measure, for we yield ourselves, blessed Holy Spirit, unto thee, that you may take us and use us. We might be a mouthpiece for thee. We may be hid behind the cross, and Christ Jesus, our Lord, will be all and in all. For it is in his precious name that we pray. Amen. We want you to turn with us in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, and let us begin reading at verse 1. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, 
and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. I don't believe there's any place in the Bible that gives us more clearly why man must be saved by the grace of God than we find here in Ephesians chapter 2, those first three verses. I would like us to look this morning then at as much of these verses as we can cover. You pray that the Lord will take His Word home to our hearts. I want you to notice in verses 1 through 3 that we have there a description, sevenfold description of man's depravity. For verse 1 starts off, And you hath he quickened. And why must God quicken? Why must God make alive? It is because men are dead in trespasses and in sins. It is because every man walks according to the course of this world. It is because every man outside of Christ walks according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. In other words, every man outside of Christ is governed and governed and led by the, the devil, Satan himself, the prince of the power of the air. Why must man be saved by grace? Verse 3 tells us it is because every man outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, comes under that word all. And we all, every last one of us by nature, have our conversation or our behavior. How? In the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. And this is the reason that man must be saved by the grace of God. And this is the reason that we preach. This is the reason that we proclaim the good news of the gospel of God. It is because of what we find in verses 1 through 3. It is man in his condition before God in a state of total depravity. But we find some gracious words in verses 4, 5, and 6. We find that someone comes from the outside and intrudes into our life. We have God's intrusion into the stream of humanity. For we find the words, but God. After giving a description of man by nature, every one of us born of woman, after giving that terrible statement of our condition without Christ and without God, then God in comes in and says, but God. Well, what, what, what has God done? Well, God is rich in mercy. 
It is because of His great love He loved us. He found no reason in us to love, but it was because of His great love that He loved us. And where did He find us? Verse 5 tells us, we were dead in sins. So what must He do when He comes? He tells us again, He has to quicken us. He has to make us alive in grace. And then He tells us emphatically, by grace ye are saved. There's no other way for the salvation of a sinner but by the grace of God. And then He must raise us up. Look at verse 6. It is God's work. And hath raised us up together. It is God who does this. And how does He do us? Well, He does it through Jesus Christ. He makes us sit together in heavenly places in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 8, He tells us another gracious statement that all of this comes to us by the grace of God. And what is grace? It is God's love in action. It is God's love going out to us. It is by grace that we are saved. It is not by faith, but through faith. Faith is the medium by which we lay hold of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is by grace that God saves us. It is through faith. And then he emphatically tells us that this salvation that comes to, all, to us completely by grace is not of ourselves. It comes to us wholly and completely by God. It is the gift of God. And why does it come to us by grace? And why does God give it to us by grace? Verse 9 tells us, Lest any man should boast. It's not of works, it's not by us whatsoever, lest any man should boast. And then we find in verse 10 and verse 7, the purpose of this grace, and the purpose of God in this grace. And what is it? It is for His glory. It is He and He alone that has, it has been His workmanship. He created. He created in us a new heart and a new nature. He put it there. He created us. It was, we are His workmanship. In Christ Jesus, you can never leave out the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what has God created us in Christ Jesus for? It is unto good works. We are, we are not saved by our works. But without good works, we know that we are not saved. Because good works follow. And who did this? Which God hath before ordained. And when did, he, when did He ordain this? Before the foundation of the world. When He gave us to Christ... That we should walk in them. And for what purpose? Look at verse 7. It is for the glory of God and for the glory of God only that God saves a soul. If you're here this morning saved by the grace of God, you were saved for God's glory. Amen. You were not primarily saved for yourself. You were saved for God's glory. Look at verse 7. That in the ages to come, God might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. So there we have the ten verses. Verses 1 through 3. We have the description of man's 
depravity. In verses 4, 5, and 6, we find God's intrusion into the human race to do something for us, and that is to quicken us and make us alive in Christ. We find in verses 8 and 9 that it is by grace that we are saved. It is through faith. It is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. Verse 10 tells us that when He does this work of grace, we are His workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And why were we saved? Verse 7, Then in the ages to come, God might show us off as His workmanship, that He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. There's a lot in those verses. There's a lot there for meditation. There's a lot there for praise and thanksgiving. Let's see how far we can go this morning then and looking at, at these verses of Scripture and see how that God saves us by grace through faith. That not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. Now I want you to go with me back to chapter 1 of Ephesians and I want you to notice what he says in verse 19. Paul prayed for these Ephesian Christians and for us in verse 18 that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened and that we might know, first of all, the hope of our calling. Second, we might know what the riches of the glory of God's inheritance in His saints is. And then third that we might know what is the exceeding greatness of His power to us who believe, according to the, the working of His mighty power, which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in the heavenly places. Now, beloved, we can never have the right conception or the true conception of redemption until we have the right conception or the true conception of the power of God to resurrect us from the grave of sin. We're dead in trespasses and sin. And if we're not clear about this, and that it takes the same power that raised Christ from the dead to raise a sinner from the grave of sin, then we never understand what grace is. That God's grace came and raised us by the same power from the grave of sin that He used to raise the Lord Jesus Christ from the grave there in Joseph's tomb in Joseph's garden. The same identical power that quickens us and makes us alive. We cannot understand the world around us without understanding verses 1, 2, and 3 of Ephesians 2. We cannot understand our own hearts and our own thoughts and our own minds without understanding these seven things in, Roma, in, in Hebrew, Ephesians 2, verses 1, 2, and 3. Because, you see, by nature we do not understand the spiritual things of God. We are unlike God. We are ungodly. We do not have God's life. We live in a state of sin. We live in a state of misery. We live in a state of trespasses and sins, and we are governed 
by the world. Now let's understand when we look at these verses of Scripture this morning, that when he says, You hath he quickened, who are dead in trespasses and sins, he's not talking about physical death, but he's talking about spiritual death. That every man comes out of his mother's womb dead in trespasses and in sins. He comes forth, as the psalmist said, we come forth from our mother's womb speaking lies. No man has to teach us how to lie. No man has to teach us how to steal. No man has to teach us how to sin. We come forth from our mother's womb sinful, totally depraved, without hope, and without God. When we talk about man being dead and man being totally depraved, what are we saying? Well, total depravity is not man being devoid of conscience, for we have a conscience. Total depravity is not man being devoid of all qualities that are pleasing to men, for there are qualities that we have that are pleasing to men. Total depravity does not mean that man is as corrupt as he might be, because 2 Timothy 3 is saying that we go on from iniquity to iniquity. Total depravity does not mean that man is as corrupt as the devil. He's not as corrupt as the devil. But what we do mean is that the Scriptures teach that man is spiritually dead, spiritually blind in his moral character and nature, and that every part of man is in a deteriorated state. He grows, comes out of his mother's womb. Every faculty of our being is twisted. Every faculty of our being is perverted. Every faculty of our being is poisoned by sin. This is the sinner that God deals with. This is the man who is saved by the grace of God. This is the man that God died for. A man who is totally depraved is a man who is destitute of the love of God. He is under condemnation. He is adverse to God. And as John 3.19 tells us, and this is the condemnation that light has come in the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. This is the state of every man outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a, the is state of every man born of woman. For we find in verse 3 of Ephesians 2, among whom also we all, Paul said, we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Man in his total depravity is under the control of Satan. Man in his total depravity is enmity against God. He is dead in trespasses and in sins. And if we would take each faculty of man, the Scripture says that he's depraved. 
You take man's understanding. Romans 3.11 says that there is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. Ephesians 4.18 tells us that the understanding is darkened. And we are alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of our hearts. We're devoid of all spirituality whatsoever. We're sinners in the sight of God. We need to be saved by the grace of God. Man talks about his free will. Man talks about his ability to believe. Man talks about his ability to do things that he can will it. But that's not what God's Word says. God's Word says in John 5.40, And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. And therefore men stay by nature in a state of their condition being lost. They will not repent. How many of you sitting before me this morning have truly repented? How many of you sitting before me this morning has ever gotten on God's side against yourself? Some of you know your hearts, and some of you know that you're outside of Christ, but you will not come to Him because you hang on to your pride and to your covetousness. You hang on to your sins. This is a condition to show you. This shows you your heart. You will not come to Him that you might have life. You're not willing to crown Him Lord. You're not willing to crown Him Lord. It shows that man is depraved. Man can sit under the gospel preaching. Man can hear the truth preached. And unless grace touches his heart, unless the power of grace opens the heart, the man will sit there, he will give a semblance of the love of the truth, he will say that he knows the truth, he wouldn't sit anyplace else but under the truth, but until the grace of God comes with the power in the soul the man, the woman, the young person will sit right there and go to hell. He will not crown Jesus Lord. That's the depravity of the human heart. And if God didn't hold His own people, they would revert back every time. The other morning, when I was in the hotel there in San Antonio, I went out and got some ice, and I came and I put it down there. And I used a little bit of it throughout the afternoon, and I came back that night from service, and it was all water. I filled it up the next morning, and it was ice. And that night it was water. And it came to my heart. A force outside of that water had to turn it into ice, and that force had to stay there all the time, making that water stay in that congealed state of ice, or it would, re it would revert back to its natural state every time. Leave it alone, and take away that which made it ice, and it would revert back to its natural state. And so would you and I, apart from the grace of God. We would revert back to our natural state every time apart from the grace of God. That's the reason we need Him. That's, an e that's the reason we must cry after Him. That's the e reason we must trust Him, for we need Him to hold us, that outside force, to hold us and keep us by His almighty power. 
we still, in our natural state, would not come to Him except for grace. That's the reason He gives us a new heart and a new nature when He saves us. Unrenewed will always chooses Christ. Now, man's in his free will says that I can trust Christ at any time. You might be able to have a give a mental assent to some things that you heard, but you're never able to change your nature. You're ever ne- never able to give yourself a new heart. You're never able to take away the bent of sinning. You might be religious, but being religious and knowing Christ are two different things. Being religious and having a new heart are two different things. We must have the nature of God in us to be changed. That's the reason He must He must quicken us and make us alive. Now, not only is man's understanding darkened, not only is man's will depraved, but let us read John 3.19 again and we see that man's Affections are depraved. And this is the condemnation that light has come in the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Christ had come in the world. The light had come. Did men want it? They hated Him. He came in the world. He who made the world, did man love Him? Man rejected Him. He didn't want Him. Why? Because His affections are depraved. According to Isaiah 53, they saw no beauty in Him that they should desire Him. And neither do you and I, apart from the grace of God. God must quicken us and make us alive. By nature, we love the world. We have pleasure in unrighteousness. We love the things of the world and we do not love the things of God. Again, in, first, in, in Titus chapter 1, verse 15, under, under the pure all things are pure, but under them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, and even their mind and conscience is defiled. This is the state of every one of us. That's the reason we need to be quickened. We're dead in trespasses and sins. Our conscience is depraved. It is defiled. Our mind is defiled. And then, let me run over these quickly. And I have scriptures for every one of these. He goes into the... The scripture gives us every part of the body. This is God's Word. He doesn't mince words about it. When you come to God's Word, you find out what awful condition we're in. What kind of sinners we are. Philippians 3.21 tells us that that our body is vile. Romans 8.3 tells us that we are weak through the flesh. Isaiah 1.5 tells us that why will you be stricken anymore? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint before God. Romans 3.13 tells us the throat is an open sepulcher. And with our tongues we have used deceit, and the poison of asp is under our lips. The throat, the tongue, the lips. And again in James 3, 6, and the tongue is a fire, 
a world of iniquity, so is the tongue among our members, and it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. Every part of our body, every part of us, Romans 3.14, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. This is the Word of God. As we read to you in Romans 3.13, the, the lips. In Romans 3.15, their, their feet are swift to shed blood. The whole anatomy is mentioned. Having eyes, Mark 8.18, having eyes they see not, and having ears they hear not. So our eyes do not see our spiritual eyes, for they're dead. We have ears, but we do not hear. God says in His Word in the psalmist that God speaks once, and man hears twice. How can it be that God speaks once and man hears twice? Why did He put that there? God speaks once to the heart of His people, they hear by the outward ear, and then they got to hear by the ear of their souls. Amen. If a man ever he only hears with the outward ear, he'll never be saved. He's got to hear with the inward soul. He's got to hear God speak twice to him. And God must speak twice to us. Beloved, salvation's of the Lord. It is by grace, through faith. It is not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. He tells us in James 4.8, Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and keep your hearts, ye double-minded. There we find our hands are defiled. Our hearts are double-minded. And then he tells us in Ezekiel 7.17 that our knees are as weak as water. Every part of us is depraved. And then when we come to the seed of man's being, what does God's Word say about the seed of man's being, which is called the heart in the Word of God, the affections? What does God's Word say about that? Well, He says in Jeremiah 17, 9, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. So the Bible is filled with what we are. Amen. Dead in trespasses and sins. And this is the reason we must be quickened and made alive. This is the reason that God must work in our hearts. Or we'll forever lay dead in our trespasses and in our sins. And what does he tell us in Mark 7, verses 21, 22, and 23? For from within, within, out of the heart of men, what comes out? Out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, Murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. Doesn't hardly leave out anything, does he? This is what comes out of the heart of man. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. Every one of us by nature Amen. is in a state of total depravity. Then he tells us in Genesis 6.15, 6, five at least, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, 
and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. You don't believe that, but that's true. Every man outside of Christ, every imagination that he has is evil in the sight of God. Did you know he tells us in the proverb that even the plowing of the wicked is an abomination in the sight of God? Why does God say that when a man goes out to make his bread by plowing in the field and planting the grain and bringing in the harvest that he might have bread to put on his table, why does he say that the very plowing of the wicked is an abomination in the sight of God. It's evil. It is because man does it for his own good and not for the glory of God. Every man outside of Christ does everything that he does for his own pleasure, for his own glory, for his own good. And God is not in his thoughts at all. This is the reason we need to be saved by the grace of God. We need to understand this. May God take it home to our hearts this morning. Well, you're preaching, you're preaching this morning like we've never heard this before. Have you? Have you heard it? Have you ever heard it? Have you acted upon it? Have you cried out to God against that wicked heart? Have you ever asked God to, def to cleanse you and make you whole? Well, then if you haven't, you haven't ever heard it. You might know it in theory, but you do not really know that you need to be quickened and made alive by the grace of God. And then we go to, to Psalms 51.5, and this, to me, is the key to it all. David, confessing his sin, went beyond, and he went want anything that he had done. And he said, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. I was shaped in iniquity and in iniquity I was shaped in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. My very conception in my mother's womb was sin. You know what he's saying there? He said that Leroy Shelton Jr. was sin when he came out of his mother's womb. He was sin when he was conceived. He was he was sin when he was growing in the womb. He was sin when he came forth from the womb, and he came forth speaking lie. That's what he's saying. Well, brother, I need something done to me if I'm like that. If every man is conceived in sin, and it's a, it's, it's a, that conception and that seed is sin, and he comes out of his mother's womb sin, something better happen to him before he reaches the grave. And the grace of God has to come. God has to come. God has got to intrude. He's got to come in. And if He doesn't, we're lost. We're gone. Salvation's of the Lord. I was shaped in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And of course, that brings on the necessity of the new birth, doesn't it? That brings on the necessity of the new birth. And so we have it in that expression, and you have He quickened. And what does he mean by that? You have he made alive. Now what does God do by his grace? Beloved, never get away from it. God must work in our hearts by his spirit in regeneration if we're ever to be saved. A man does not believe to be born again. 
He believes because he has been born again and been, been regenerated by the power of God. God has to intrude. God has to come. And I praise Him that He has. And that He does. And that He's here this morning by His grace. And that He's dealing with our hearts through His Word. He's intruding to our thoughts. Maybe you didn't come to hear this this morning. Maybe you said, well, the, pre the preacher has no right to, to, to call me that kind of individual. I didn't do it. The Word of God calls us that. It's ours to acknowledge it before God. And if, if God ever intrudes into our lives and stops us and quickens us and makes us alive, we will never get through praising Him and thanking Him that ever He did. This is the reason the believing people of God rejoice in what God has done. Because He intrudes into their lives. He comes into their hearts. And He quickens them and makes them alive. Listen to me now. Just as the body of the Lord Jesus Christ was formed by the Spirit in the virgin's womb, and that virgin could not conceive apart from the Holy Spirit, so the Holy Spirit must form Christ in us and born Christ in us before we can ever be saved. It takes the power of God's Spirit. It took the power of God's Spirit, Spirit to form the body of Christ in the virgin's womb. And it takes the Spirit of God to form Christ in us. And Paul said in Galatians 4, 19, I tried veil again in, in pains. First pains. I tried veil until you were born by the Spirit of God. Until you were born by the Spirit of God. But then, then we must be quickened and made alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, now there are seven things here, as if we have not already told you enough, but I want you to notice that there are seven things that are mentioned here. First of all, that we are dead. Second, that we walk according to the course of this world. That's where we walk, by nature. Third, we walk according to the, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Satan governs us. Satan rules us. Our Lord said in John 8, 44, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father he will do. Every man outside of Christ has the devil for his father. He governs him. He rules him. And then he tells us next of all that we all had our conversation, our behavior in time past was how? In the lust of the flesh. That is, in our passions. What were we doing? We were fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. There we were in a sense Walking in a state and living in a state of rebellion against God. Fulfilling the every desire of the flesh and every desire of the mind that came to us. And then again, he tells us in the last place, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Every one of us were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. 
Now what does he mean by the expression, ye walked according to the course of this world? Well, the word walk here in Ephesians is given to us many and many a time. And it always has the connotation, our way of life. Our way of life. He tells us in chapter 5. Look there just for a moment. Let's go back to chapter 4, verse 17. He says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of your mind. In other words, may that not be the way you live as you used to. Or he tells us in verse chapter 5, verse 2, walk in love. May the manner of your life be love. What does he tell us in verse 8? Walk as children of light. Let us walk in such a way, let us behave in such a way, that we may that we act as children of light. Down in verse 15, see then that you walk circumspectly or carefully. May the tenor of your life, may the behavior of your life be as one who is wise and not as one who is fool, who is foolish. So here in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 2, he means the manner of life where in time past ye walked. And what was the manner of life? The fear, the sphere in which we, our life was governed was by the world. Everything of the world is what we did. I want you to notice what he says in 1 John 2, 15 and 16. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world, and the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. This indicates a life that is alive to the world, according to the course of this world. Our thoughts, our opinions, our speculations, our hopes, our impulses, our aims, our aspirations, <clears throat> these are all according to the world. This is what we were inhaling and exhaling all of the time as we walked according to the course of this world. We did not have God in our thoughts at all. We were governed by the world's systems. Then I want you to understand, when you look at that expression, that we were governed, we walked according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Beloved, be not deceived. Every one of us, by nature, are children of the devil. Amen. Every one of us, by nature, are liars like he. And therefore, being the prince of the power of the air, he governs and rules every man outside of Christ. We should never be surprised at what man does. And yet we read in the paper every day, we hear on the news every day, of what man in his totally depraved condition does, apart from the grace of God. We should not be surprised, because totally depraved man is governed by the spirit of Satan, 
his demons, the fallen angels, fill the heart of man with hatred and bitterness against God, with hatred and bitterness against the people of God, with hatred and bitterness against the authority of God. No man will call Jesus Lord except by the Holy Spirit. No man will bow to the authority of the Lordship of Jesus Christ apart from the grace of God. But let's move on to verse 4. God did something. He intruded into our lives. And beloved, if God has ever come into your life by grace, you will praise Him. He came in. He was not wanted. You didn't desire Him. You didn't call after Him until He quickened you and made you alive. But God, it's all the way through the Word of God. Man is what he is, but God has done something. And unless we bring God in the picture, we're forever lost and forever doomed and damned. But God has come. And what has, come, what has He come with? But God who is rich in mercy. And what is mercy? Mercy is God's loving compassion toward us. God's heart of compassion went out to us. He's come in His mercies. They're new every morning. He comes in His mercies to us. He's rich in mercy. Beloved, we should never despair of any soul getting saved. Because God is rich in mercy. We should never dis despair of any soul getting saved. God is rich in mercy. The soul that He comes to save deserves His wrath. He's repulsive. He doesn't want it. If you want a, a, a description of everything I've said this morning, turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 16. And you'll find there one of the most vivid pictures of how we are looked upon in the sight of God. We find, in, I do know that it's an allegory concerning Jerusalem, but it also applies to the spiritual aspect of every soul outside of Christ. Look at verse 4. As for thy nativity, in the day that thou wast born, thy navel was not cut, neither wast thou washed in water to supple thee, thou wast not salted at all, nor swallowed at all, None I pitied thee to do any of these things unto thee, to have compassion upon thee, and that's mercy. But thou wast cast out in the open field of the loathing of thy person, and in the, and in the day that thou wast born. And when I passed by thee, see, God intruded, God came. And when God passed by, he said, I saw thee. And how did he see us? With our great intellect, with our great wisdom. But our desires after Him? No, He found us polluted in our own blood. That's where He found us. And when I found you polluted in your own blood, I said unto you, Live! Yea, I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live. He found us as a bastard child, dead, thrown out upon the garbage heap. The navel cord had not been cut. We were in our own pollution and sin. And that's where He found us. And verse 8 says, Now when I passed by thee, and I looked upon thee, in that awful state of depravity and ruined condition before God, 
when I passed by thee, it was your time of love when I looked upon you. Can you imagine God loving such a wretch as that? Did God have anything to do with such a wretch as that? But he says, when I passed by thee and looked upon thee, behold, thy time was the time of love. That's mercy, beloved. He's rich in mercy. He's rich in mercy. And with his great love, wherewith he loved us. All right, what was his great love then? How was his great love manifested? We have it there in Ezekiel 6, 8. Now when I passed by thee and looked upon thee, behold, thy time was a time of love. His great love wherewith he loved us. He loved us when we were polluted in our sins. Cast out to the power of our own person. Nobody would have anything to do with us. When I passed by thee, behold, thy time was the time of love. And what did he do? He said, I spread my skirt over thee and covered thy nakedness. He gave us his righteousness to cover us. He gave us his righteousness that we might be stand before God fully clothed and not naked, cast out to our own person. He said, do you notice what he said? When I saw you there, I said, live. And that's exactly what Ephesians 2.1 says. And you have the quickened. He makes alive. He says, live. And this is the power of God and the grace of God. And beloved, this is the reason salvation's of the Lord. And this is the reason nobody, no man can get saved unless God comes to us. But He does. He has a people and I don't know who they are. But I'm going to preach to every man as if all of you are the elect. That's right. Hold out the gospel to you and get, let God work. He said He would work. It's of Him. It's of grace. It's of mercy. I passed by thee. It was a time of love. And I said unto you, live. And I spread my skirt over you. And I covered your nakedness. But He didn't stop there. That great mercy, that rich mercy, that great love where His love is, loved us doesn't stop there. What did He do? He said, I entered in a covenant with thee saith the Lord God, and thou becamest mine. That's what, he, that's what God does for us. We're going to have to leave it there for this morning. The Lord willing will take it up from that next Lord's Day morning and look at it again and see this great love of God toward this poor outcast soul that could not help himself, could not have got out of that condition. But grace came, and mercy came, and I praise God that it came, it came to my soul one day. Do you? Do you praise Him? I ask you again, do you praise Him? Do you rejoice that He stopped by your heart's door? Have you ever seen yourself as this picture is given to us in Ephesians 2? Have you ever seen yourself in that horrible picture of Ezekiel 16? I didn't write that. I didn't write all of these scriptures that I've given you this morning and God's Word declares of what we are by nature and why we need the grace of God. And beloved, this needs to be preached. And men might know the condition that they're in and why we need the grace of God to save us and why we need for God to come in His rich mercy and His great love where He loved us and raise us up together in Christ Jesus. We might sit in heavenly places 
for the glory of God throughout eternity. The grace of God and the faith of God is a gift. He gives it to us. He gives it to us. I wish I knew how to exhort. I wish I knew how to tell you. But I will tell you this. I'll point you to Christ. Wherein lies my hope? My hope lies in a crucified, buried, and risen Lord Jesus Christ. When that Philippian jailer, the end of his way, cried unto Paul and Silas and said, What must I do to be saved? They pointed him directly to Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. They directed him toward Christ. And I direct your heart and my heart toward Christ this morning. Brother, I have, no, I have nothing apart from the Lord Jesus. I have nothing to stand on. I have no hope outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. When I turn toward the mercy seat, I have not one sermon that I've ever preached that I can plead, not one penny I've ever given, one work I've ever done, anything, nothing under the sun. I come, as the songwriter said, I come naked to Him for dress. I come with empty hands, nothing in them, but I turn toward Him. And I've told you before, and I'll tell you again this morning, when a man comes there, what is saving faith? Saving faith, first of all, has, has three ingredients. The first one is a felt need. And that's all we spoke of this morning. That need. A felt need. And that's the greatest thing in the world that God can ever give you and I is a felt need. And that's the beginning of faith. Amen. The second ingredient of faith is going outside of myself. I can find nothing good in here. And I've got to go outside of myself to receive, to get. And the third ingredient of faith is I go to Christ. That felt need. I go outside of myself and I go to Christ. I seek His face. I believe Him. I trust Him. I fall down upon Him. I take His promises and I plead them back before Him. I have no other hope. I have no other way. It's by grace, but it's through faith. And that's the medium that God uses when we come to Him as He quickens us and makes us alive in Christ. I trust that you have heard something this morning. I came back a very tired man. And I was hoping and trusting that God would give us strength to deliver His Word this morning. It seemed like at time it just wasn't coming out like I would desire it to. But He did give us grace and strength to deliver it. And I trust that He will use it for His glory. Even today in our hearts, when it goes out on the air in the next week or two, He'll use it again. He'll use it on the tapes when they go out for His glory. He'll deal with our hearts. But what about it? Have you heard this morning? God has spoke once. Have you heard twice? Have you heard by the natural ear? Have you heard by the inner ear? As God called you. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. 
our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.